0: From the Hollywood 2 the Spirit Cats, one of the hosts of the show. Today we're gonna to be talking to Tim Carter, producer of the Mortal Kombat Legacy web series, and co-owner of Contradiction Films. I think you'll like this interview. We get into the process of what it's like to adapt one of the most popular video games of all time and producing a web series that's on the biggest budgets in the world of online content. <laughs>
1: You know, my origin story and the company's origin story are kind of one and the same. Um, I've been a professional writer for about 20 years, but I transitioned into entertainment oh, eight or nine years ago um, and found a contradiction with uh, a longtime friend named Tomas Harlan. I come from the creative side. He comes from the the more business side, although we have a tremendous amount of overlap now where he does a lot of creative work. And, you know, I'm I'm up to speed on the business side and, and structure a lot of our business deals as well. Um, we started in film and, uh, foolishly enough moved Hollywood and thought, you know, we would just launch knowing no one and, uh, having no background at all. Uh, and very quickly managed to sell a feature film script first to Element Films and then later, uh, Gold Circle and, um, uh, sold a TV property to CBS Paramount. And I wrote a pilot for that and we thought, well, we're off to the races, right? Uh, neither of those got made. In fact, I own the rights to them now, and they're both gathering dust on a shelf up here. And so, yeah, we went through the usual cycle of of small entertainment companies, of of developing content, getting attached to projects. The projects wouldn't go. Um, you know, we we hit the writer's strike head-on. That was actually what happened to the the TV project. It just ran headlong into the writer's strike, and everything got force majeure out of everywhere. Um, and uh, at some point, we decided that, a smart business move for us would be to expand our operation into, uh, gaming. I, you know, I came from Vancouver, even though I was in Los Angeles at the time, and I knew a tremendous number of people in the console gaming industry, uh, who were doing really well. And were looking for a lot of help on either just straight out writing or story IP creation, that kind of thing. Um, so we sort of took a sideways step and started to work in that area and very quickly worked on a number of, of console titles. Um, and you know, sort of became a company that could speak gamer and work in a game development environment, uh, but also with a background in Hollywood and, and uh, you know, sort of traditional live action entertainment. Uh, and coming out of that, we started to develop crossover projects. Uh, one of which I walked over to Warner Brothers in I think two thousand and late two thousand and nine, early two thousand and ten. Uh, and pitched it to them, and they basically said in the meeting, that's fantastic, we might do that one day, but you need to stop everything else you're doing because we're giving you a job before you leave the room. Uh, And that turned out to be Mortal Kombat Legacy, the digital series we did for them in in 2010. Uh, And they had just been looking for someone who uh, understood the gaming world, had an indie producer's um, sort of track record on on the live-action side and so could work with the kind of budgets they were going to have, But would would sort of be able to work well with the game publishers, uh, and which is another Warner's company, but not the same one as the one that was.
0: What was the pitching process like? Well,
1: you know, you've got to keep in mind that um, so I had a a property which may actually go now, um, uh, and I had met someone from Warner's who wanted to do digital series, and so I went down and kind of said, "Well, you know, here's what I want to do. It's a completely novel business model uh, and creative model." But uh, here's my idea, um, and simultaneous with that, they had decided to do Mortal Kombat. Kevin Tench, the director, had done the short, which had exploded on YouTube, and they were looking at more or less an identical business model to mine, um, and and someone who could work in gaming. But the actual pitch for Mortal Kombat, they had already decided what they were going to do. You know, uh, they just I happened to walk in the room at the moment when they were trying to figure out how in the name of God they were actually going to do it. So, you know, there was a lot of serendipity there, but I, I didn't pitch the Mortal Kombat Legacy at all. They told me what they wanted, essentially, uh, based on what I had already sort of explained to them.
0: So the train was already moving.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what had happened was, you know, they they had to make a decision when Kevin's short came out, which was, do we sue this guy because he has no rights to Mortal Kombat and we own it, or do we co-opt him because he's clearly picked up an audience and, and he's an incredibly creative guy. And people have been adapting Mortal Kombat for decades and screwing it up. And this guy has done a fantastic job. Uh, And they wisely decided to co-opt him. But literally all they kind of had at that moment was, you know, an idea of budget and an idea of, um, you know, working with his vision of it. Uh, But the physical production of it was, there was a, a long distance to go between what the vision was and the money they had. And that's where we kind of came in and said, well, here's how we want to do this other project. Here's how I would get you from start to finish. And that was the missing piece for them.
0: So you had this template from a prior uh, project that you presented to them. And because of that, they could see that you had the vision to be able to take it to the finish line.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. The and you know the production vision. I, I don't want to step on uh, the oh. creative vision at all, which was definitely Kevin had something very clear in his mind that he wanted to do.
0: So, so I see what you're saying. You had like the the production kind of how you could lay this out and do it in, in a way, and then he had this uh, look. He had this uh, new interpretation of moral combat, So it was a kind of a harmony between it's all coming together. You know?
1: Yeah, he had a really clear idea of what he wanted to do. They had a clear idea of what they wanted to spend, and those two things didn't line up very well. So, uh, and that's where we came in.
0: How were you able to achieve such a high production value on such a low budget?
1: Well, you know, I mean, we're—I come from indie film. So prior to that, we had just done done a feature film in uh, Northern California, which we subsequently sold to Stars. Um, and you know, you're always working with almost no money in those uh, scenarios. So, you know, there was a—we uh, had a sort of an approach that we wanted to take that just allowed us to work, um, you know, for, a, I don't know how to put it exactly. You, you just have to do it smart, you know. You, you cut bulk deals with people, you find the, the right suppliers who will give you the kind of deals you want, and you start to piggyback uh, responsibilities in a way that you can't get away with if you're doing a big feature. You know, so, for instance, all of the editing was done at the visual effects shop. You wouldn't normally do that. But we found a place that had a really strong editorial staff um, and where they were willing to take a huge discount on what they were going to get for editing if they got the VFX work. You know, And there's a whole host of ways in which that saved us time, money, and, and headaches. And it's just one example.
0: I noticed that many episodes of the Mortal Kombat web series had self-contained stories. This reminds me of X-Files when they did the Monster of the Week Where a viewer could tune in at any point in the season and still enjoy a one off story versus a story that'll go along for an entire season. Do you prefer self contained story episodes for future web series? Well, you know,
1: I mean, I think that's a a wide open debate still. I don't think there's a conclusive answer to that. Uh, I got to tell you, most of what we're developing now, and we have three or four of these in active development, we're actually looking at something that stitches together into a longer linear narrative when it's done. So a lot more serialized than Mortal Kombat was. Uh, and the reason for that is it has, a, it has a much longer shelf life. It can be sold as a, as a kind of busted theatrical feature on Video On Demand and things like that after the fact. You could put it on Netflix, you know. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole range of, of sort of business reasons why you might want to stitch all of your 10-minute episodes together into a single sort of piece of content uh, and I think on the web, you know, and I could be completely wrong on this, but uh, you know, unlike say television, you don't really need to worry about people not having seen the preceding episodes because if it's all up there on YouTube, and the and the guy sort of suddenly starts to think to himself, well, I don't know what's going on because I haven't been following this, he can always immediately drop over to the starting to the pilot episode and pick up the story from the beginning. You know, whereas if you're watching television and the first five episodes of the show aren't readily at your fingertips, you're kind of stuck. You know, if you come into Lost halfway through, you might be really confused. You know, uh, in fact, if you stayed with Lost from beginning to end, you still might be really confused.
0: Since viewers could access episodes at any point in the season, it makes it easier for them to follow serialized stories easily. Yeah, and I mean, I
1: think you could even, uh, if, if we were concerned about something, if it was so linear that you know again, coming in midway through was was gonna leave people uh wondering what the hell was going on. you know you just put a you can put a button there that says, "Are you confused question mark go here and it links you direct to episode one you know i mean there's all kinds of things you see on on digital series now where you know they're there typically they just want to push you forward to the next episode and if you you know if you're watching one and you like it, push you to the beginning of the series to get you fully engaged but you know, almost anything is is sort of possible in terms of, um, in terms of routing people through your content. And if you're working with 10-minute episodes and you, say, have a nine-episode season, uh, you're not know, asking someone to invest, you know, days of their time getting caught up, right? It might only be 20 or 30 minutes that they need to watch in order to be fully up to speed with the one that they're dropping in on.
0: So you're developing scripts that work as web series and feature film. Yeah, I mean, everything you know. is is
1: different, but I think that's a general model that we're gravitating towards uh, in most instances. Uh, You know, it gives you a lot more sort of um, creative material to work with because you can have longer character arcs. Uh, You don't, you're not challenged in a given episode um, to sort of Introduce new things again, you know, for instance if you're starting a story the very beginning of it, you sort of have to Establish like who is this character? What motivates them? Where are they coming from? You know, what's the setup all that sort of? uh, That sort of stuff if you're doing ones that are disconnected from each other You might find yourself having to work hard to to do that each time Uh, Whereas if they're all connected then you can sort of get over that in your pilot episode and then you can sort of move on with your story
0: as a writer how do you tackle the challenge of telling stories that work as a feature film and can be broken down into a web series?
1: Well, you want a lot of cliffhangers. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's definitely one way to do it. Um, I think what you have to think about is not the experience of someone watching a movie in uh, a theater or on DVD, but what's their experience when they watch it on television? Because, you know, typically the movie for television will get broken up into 10 or 12 minute sections with commercial breaks. Uh, so, you know, that doesn't always work. It depends on the, on the nature of the, the movie, but they certainly try to break it up into acts that are kind of coherent for the viewers. So they're not, you know, dropping off to commercials when you're right in the middle of some story point. Right.
0: Yeah. Have you thought of using a web series based on original story as a proof of concept for a film or TV show?
1: Yeah, we look at that, and we have a number of original IP that we're developing or, or speaking to people about now that maybe is fully developed, but we're looking for financing. Uh, but, you know, i got to say that it's way easier to get a big franchise financed. Uh, you know, I mean, Mortal Kombat came kind of pre-cooked on that front for us. Um, but, you know, most of the things that are at the kind of budgets we'd like to be working with, which is a lot bigger than your typical digital series... You know, the ones that gain traction are the ones based on a big game IP or in one or two instances, we're looking at things that are tied into some other piece of popular culture, you know, because it just when you're asking someone to put up a couple million dollars, it's a lot easier for them if there's something they can kind of get their hooks into, you know, both from a marketing perspective and knowing there's a built in audience out there and that you're not starting from, you know, scratch.
0: You see, most theatrical films are based on underlying properties. You're starting to see that a lot in TV, too, with uh, shows like The Walking Dead.
1: Yeah, I think it's just, you know, I mean, look, it's a business, right? And so um, for better or for worse, it's a lot easier for people to justify their decisions when it's based on an existing property. You certainly do get a uh, a scenario sometimes where you look at what's coming out, say, for instance, in the movie industry, and you're like, can someone do something original, please, you know, because it's all regurgitation of, either comic books or franchises from the past, or you're making a movie about, you know, a 70s TV show or whatever. But from a straight business point of view, that's the easiest one to get going for them.
0: It's interesting to see the parallel between a web series and theatrical films that are both relying on underlying properties.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the sort of digital series world is going the way that... um, that film has, which is to say, you you're going to have a ton of indie stuff. And the great thing about indie stuff on the web is the barriers to distribution are are practically nil, right? Whereas if you make an indie feature film, you still got to get it out there to people, and the barriers to that are huge, right? And even if you make one on a low budget, getting that money back is in, incredibly challenging, and most indie films don't. Uh, whereas you can you know you can reach as wide an audience as you're able to draw on the web essentially for no money, right? You put it on YouTube and you, you do whatever you can to pull people to it. Uh, and then at the other end of the spectrum are these sort of bigger budget, bigger budget in the world of digital series, right? Uh, yeah. Multiples of millions, but they're still tiny by the you know, standard of feature films. Uh, but bigger budget shows that you know, have some sort of um, compelling business logic to why someone would risk that money. You know, I mean, the and the biggest budget one to date is going to come out later this fall, and that would be Halo, right? You know, where they yeah. spent a ton of money on it, um, and that's just that's pure marketing. I I have no idea. I have nothing to do with that series, but just looking at the numbers, you got to think the chances they're making their money back on the series itself are very slim. But the chances that it acts as an incredibly useful marketing vehicle for Halo are really pretty high. You know,
0: and it's, so they'll it's, see it's cool branded back. content. You know.
1: Yeah, it's true branded content, and again, it's a monster franchise, and it's a monster franchise that is pre-cooked to be uh, you know, uh, accessing this sort of content on the web, right? I mean, I would guess 99% of gamers uh, and probably 100% of Halo uh, players you know, are already consuming uh, streaming content on the web anyway. So you're not having to work to uh, get those people to your, your sort of distribution medium at all.
0: In the future, do you think there's going to be radical changes to the revenue model for web series?
1: Well, you know, I mean, I think one of the things that's that's happening, and it's it's probably happening more slowly than I would like, or or most of the people in my shoes would like, is that as the advertisers um, start to see value in running pre-roll on on digital content of any kind, but in particular digital series, you know, uh, you should start to see more money coming into you know, the, make, the making of that content. The two are obviously directly related. And the unfortunate truth is at the moment, the CPM, the, the ad rate you're going to get on a digital series uh, is far lower kind of per eyeball than a, uh, you know, say a television show, even though it could be exactly the same ad, exactly the same audience. They're just paying less to, to advertise on the web. As that balances out more, and, and as we start to see CPMs that are close to what you're getting on cable TV, I think you know there's going to be a lot more money coming into the system simply by virtue of that sort of increase in the, in the potential revenue, mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: and then I think the other thing is is possibly um, seeing the sort of big entertainment players uh, begin to see digital content as part of a larger whole, you know, so that. Uh, Somewhere in the future, it's it's you know this is something that we're pushing, but I can't guarantee it's going to be successful. You know, you want to have a P- an IP that then we're making the digital series, uh, we're creating a console title, a big AAA console title for. There's a feature film in the works somewhere, and maybe even a television series, and they all work with each other, right? And under that scenario you should see a lot more money for digital series because it's the thin end of the wedge. And what you're doing is saying, look guys, you know, rather than spending money on say a TV pilot, which if you don't green light the show, that money's just gone, right? There's, it's got no uh, value anywhere. Let's build a digital series instead. You know, you could build a kick-ass digital series for what they pay for, you know, uh, TV pilots usually. Um, and then, you know, a, this thing can go onto the web and, and build an audience regardless of whether you green light the show. But if it, does bring the show i guarantee you've had you know way more marketing and way more sort of audience engagement because it was on the web first than if you made a pilot and screened it for a bunch of advertisers you know and and studio executives
0: here's a completely theoretical question if you ran a film studio and you had two million dollars to market a movie would you either invest in traditional advertising or would you create a web series based on the storyline of the film
1: yeah, I mean, look, I'm biased, right? But I think that would be fantastic. You, you know, and, and I think there's a tremendous amount of value to be had uh, by taking a digital series out. Uh, you know, Mortal Kombat's had 60 million hits on YouTube, right? If you multiply that by $13 per theater admission, and, you know, if you presume that the people that watch the digital series would come to see a feature, that's a massive you know, theatrical release, right? That's a, a monster success. Uh, but there are a number of barriers to that. If you have already created the movie or you know you're going to make the movie, um, using a digital series as advertising, the the filmmakers aren't going to want to give you the kind of creative control you're going to need because they don't want you messing up their movie, right? And if the digital series is bad or even if the digital series just you know, has a different type of gun in the hero's hand, that's going to cause the director to have connections, right? Uh, So we have a great relationship with Warner Brothers, uh, but the chances of me ever doing anything to do with Batman, I mean, Christopher Nolan would have killed me, right? And and write the show, and then he would have killed every studio executive that ever even thought about it, because it's his baby. And so giving it to some digital guys is is completely, you know, uh, off the it's completely outside the radar
0: well that's what i've seen with transmedia content where like you see like tim kring like from heroes who's an advocate for it and you know what i've noticed was i think smallville where they had real support by like the core team and i think because of that they had a uh, real success with the content the story being moved around in different platforms but you know it's it's something that you're, you're right. You need to have some blocking for you or else it's just going to be like some – it's not going to have that support and it won't, it, won't be as, it won't be as successful.
1: Yeah, I mean I think with all of these, uh, anytime you're working with someone else's IP, what you need is the, whomever is the key creative voice in that IP to, to be an active partner in the process. So for instance, if you, were, if you were making a series based on a big feature film, whomever is the big name there, uh, typically the director – but you know, in some instances, maybe the producer, especially if it's say like a, a lower budget horror feature, um, you know, if, if they buy in and then you get a sort of collaboration, uh, I think there are tremendous opportunities. I mean, Battlestar did a did a digital series. Walking Dead has done a digital series. Uh, you know, and, and they see these as just expanding the brand and, in effect, marketing, right? Um, but there's opportunities. Or so the Walking Dead series you know, whatever one might think of it narratively, it looks fantastic. And it's a, it's a cool thing, you know? Um, and so I think there's, you know, there's ample opportunity there. And it's the same with gaming. You know, I mean, we're working with a number of big uh, game IP right now. And unless you have buy-in from the EPs on the project, forget it, right? I mean, that's where
0: the conversation always starts. Um, and, and creatively, one of our
1: biggest uh, sort of mandates is making sure that those guys are completely on board with what we're doing and that we're doing something that embraces their vision you know, and takes their vision to uh, another level.
0: They don't want to look back at the adaptation and feel they made a mistake since it doesn't even resemble what they originally came up with.
1: Well, and that's typically what happens in features, right? Uh, I mean, I don't know anyone on the Resident Evil development team, uh, nor do I know anyone making the movie, but I guarantee you that they hate it. You know, the game gods. Because it's so completely disconnected from what the game IP is.
0: Some creators are so nervous that filmmakers are going to bastardize the material, they won't let anyone option their stories, even if they're game
1: paid. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that we, you know, I mean, a big part of our pitch to either game developers or game publishers, depending on who we're talking to, is that because we work in gaming, because we're used to being part of the creative team on games, we understand where they're coming from, and we can kind of talk to people and and... and um, interact with them inside the development process. So, it, you know, by the time we come to, uh, adaptation, we're coming at it from a, a game development point of view, not just as filmmakers have come in, license the property, and then you don't hear from us until something hits the screen, by which point, you know, you have no idea whether it's embraced your, your game's vision or not.
0: Who do you respect in the world of new media?
1: Well, I, like for instance, um, it's a director named Stuart Hendler who has done two Warners uh, projects, or excuse me, he did H-Plus for Warners, and he's the director behind Halo. Um, and H-Plus, I think, isn't pulling the audience that it probably deserves. Uh, it's now on YouTube, and, and your viewers can go um, find it quite easily, uh, but it looks fantastic, you know? Uh, and so he really did a great job with that. Um, and he frequently collaborates with uh, an executive who was formerly at Warner Brothers uh, and now is out on her own. Her name is Lydia Antonini. She was our uh, point of contact on Mortal Kombat and not coincidentally is the EP on Halo. Uh, and she's also, you know, really on the, the forefront of this stuff. So, you know, I think there's a few. I don't know Tim Crane uh, at all. I know some of the people that work with him, but uh, Daybreak looks pretty good. Um, again, it's not finding the audience, I think, that it deserves based on the quality of the show. Uh, And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's another great sort of greatly put together, interesting show. Uh, And then at the other end of the the spectrum is, you know, Felicia Day, who's essentially started up cobbling things together with duct tape and elastic bands and now has a monster audience, you know, and just has tapped into something and does a really great job at it and is rewarded with a huge audience. And, you know, I have no idea what her budgets are today, but. Obviously, when she started, they were like, whatever was left on her credit
0: card. I'm a fan of the Moral Kombat web series. It's great to see that badass, Joel Silver-style storytelling go online. You see a lot of comedies, but it's, you know, it's refreshing to see something different.
1: Well, we're planning on shooting another one over the winter that will then get launched later in 2013. Uh, I can't talk about what it is yet because the IP is still completely confidential, but we're hoping to take that to the next level. Um and I expect there's going to be a season two to Mortal Kombat. It's been publicly announced. It's not. It's not actually in production yet. But uh, you know, so there's we have two now en route that uh, we think are going to take what we learned from the first one and really
0: go, you know, the next step. What lessons did you learn from working on Mortal Kombat?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that the the key thing, regardless of what your budget is, is knowing where to put your money. And uh, so I think even though we really work hard to be. Uh, streamlined and economical on Mortal Kombat. Uh, and we, you know, we took our budget and stretched it, I think, way past what was really reasonable. Um, there's still a few things where I feel like we we stretched it a little too far. And so, you know, like, I'm not wild about how Baraka looks to criticize my own work, you know? Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, I think that Kano's eye at the end of episode two, it still blows me away every time. And the the makeup effects guys on that did a fantastic job. And so it's just... You know, and that's no knock on the people that made Baraka for us. It's just, you know, to do that right, you needed way more money than we had. And so it's, you know, I think the trick is knowing how many of Kano's eyes you can, you can fit in and then making them
0: really uh, have an impact. So it's about having quality control to make sure there isn't one part of the production that turns out poorly because it's underfunded. And if that's the case, you cut it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for anyone out there who's who's sort of engaged in this stuff, it, it really also depends on who's your audience, what's the brand of your show. You know, I think one of the great things about digital right now is is it can be extremely forgiving, right? I mean, people know that you're making something on a shoestring. I mean, there's any number of um, Fallout sort of fan films out there, and that's another, you know, I'll, I'll throw a shout out to them. I, I can't remember their titles off the top of my head, but I've seen five or six at least that are really great you know uh they do a really cool job and you know you look at them the way they're lit and the way that sometimes the the gunfire and things like that is is portraying you think eh, okay i can see where you ran out of money yeah but i don't care as a fan right because i like seeing the world come to to life and i know that these guys are really it is. They're making this thing with whatever they have up on their credit
0: card. Right? You're not watching that in Pirates of Caribbean going, "Ah, oh, man, the guns don't look right. It's you're watching it, it in a film that was shot in somebody's like parents' backyard and you know it, and they're making it work.
1: Exactly. And and you know it's thrilling to see people do so much with so little, you know? Um whereas I think if you make a show for Warner Brothers, you know, the bar is just the yeah. audience expectation bar is higher, you know? People people won't be as forgiving in that uh in those circumstances, so you know, we we have to sort of maintain a, a kind of quality level, and that involves making really smart choices, and, and sometimes you know throwing stuff overboard when you just we just look at it and say yeah, that's just not going to look good,
0: you know. And so it's it's scaling back where you have to scale back. Uh, I remember this before we hit out was the movie The Raid, that what well, I really liked it, but it's such a simple film. They it's like, you know, they go into a building and the this guy has to fight his way through all these bad guys, the team of SWAT team. And it's so simple, but you know, it's like they could just they could just focus right on the action. It wasn't like they had a hundred different destinations. They don't have money, so they have to be shoot make their choices wisely, you know? Yeah, I mean,
1: that's a fantastic example of, of how to do a contained action movie. Usually you see more contained horror movies, right? But uh, a contained action movie, I haven't seen it yet, but my friends who have think it's fantastic.
0: No, it's phenomenal. Uh, and it's just what, what you're talking about. It's like making the smart choices because sometimes it's kind of like, you know, when you're writing something, you can make a million decisions, you know, but there isn't really consequences. But when you're on set, it's like if people could put their money in the wrong location and in the wrong thing and doesn't even serve the genre and it's like that no one cares who's watching it but if someone's smart they go i'm gonna put that into the makeup effect so i'm gonna cut the location just put it right in one spot and i think that's the key it's figuring out really what they want and giving it to them you know yeah
1: and you know i mean uh, frankly hand-to-hand combat is one of the cheaper things to do well you need really highly qualified stunt guys but it's uh you know it's easier to do than explosions and guys on wires and and all the other sort of stuff you need when you go to uh, to different types of fighting, let alone magic or spaceships or any of that stuff. You know, even swords uh, because of the safety issues are more complicated and time-consuming than two guys punching each other, you know. Uh, but if it's done well, it, it can be great. Witness all of Hong Kong cinema, right? No. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, and the last, by the way, the last video game I did is a Hong Kong cinema kind of uh, homage, if you will. So that's... Uh, you know, and that, even that also, it's like, it's in a lot of ways, a lot more fun to be punching than shooting.
0: No, and I, I totally agree. But uh, yeah, well, no, I look forward to your uh, upcoming projects. If there's anything you want to mention that's coming up, or if it's all secret, I will just, we'll have everybody wait, you know, until uh, it does come out and I'll, 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 you know, mention it, you know, and all that. But uh, anyhow, you know, thanks so much and uh, you have a good day.
1: Yeah, thanks very much.
0: Yeah, no problem. Cheers. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Hollywood 2.0. You could uh, email me questions, ideas to Catsfilms, KTZ, films at gmail.com. You can check me out at sweet
1: She me
0: to my